Good morning. It's good to be here. I'm glad you guys are all here to be here to worship God with us. Um, as Rich was saying, uh, you know, this isn't something I do very often. This is probably like my sixth or seventh time up here teaching, and uh, uh, it doesn't get any easier, to be honest with you. I thought, I thought after a few times it might be a little smoother, but to be honest, I mean, this week was just a bear. I was just stressed out um, trying to prepare for today. You know, I've learned a few things being a Christian, and one of them is that we are under attack, especially when we step out to serve. And the enemy doesn't always attack with lies. <laughs> he attacks with truth sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't do this, Alex, you know. You're, you're out of your depth here, and that's true. So it's forced me to learn to be more dependent on Jesus to show up here today and, and teach through me. So, um, like I said, I've only done this a few times, so it takes me a while to, to get into any kind of rhythm or any type of groove. So if you can be patient for like the first 45 minutes, the last, <laughs> the last five minutes, I promise I'm going to kill it right out of the park. Okay. <clears throat> So here's some things I'd like us to, to think about as we get into today's teaching. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here saying this world's pretty messed up. If you, you know, all you got to do is watch the news or read the newspaper. You can see that, that it's just, this world is, is messed up. And I'm not talking about you know, politics or these big hot-button topics you know, like gay marriage or abortion or just, you know, things happening in the Middle East, all, all those things. Those things are all included, I mean, to, as an example, that the world's messed up. But I'm just talking about the everyday stuff that happens right here in Rhode Island, right here in our neighborhoods, in our cities. Shootings, stabbings, violence, greed, theft, corruption, drug and alcohol abuse, all of it. We, we, ha- we experience it all right here around us every day. It's a mess, isn't it? Or how about things that used to be accepted are now offensive to people? And things that were once offensive to people are now accepted. It doesn't make any sense. It's upside down. We used to, things like prayer and things like truth used to be lifted up in our communities and our neighborhoods, things that were held dear. Now it's like a joke almost. It's, it's shunned. It just seems to be spinning more and more out of control, this world. So... Does it shock us? Does it shock me? Honestly, no. It doesn't shock me anymore. I've gotten so used to it. I see it every day. I see it every day around me. I read it in the paper. I see it on the news. Just, it's just, it's almost, it's almost expected. And it is expected. This world, world is full of lost, sinful people. So the world is lost and sinful. It shouldn't really be a surprise to us. What we see and hear about on the news is just the natural behavior of unregenerated sinners. It's just how they behave. And I say it pretty often when I watch the news. That's just sinners acting like sinners. I say it all the time. So it's become like just almost accepted, sadly. So there's some questions to think about, like I said, as we get in today's study. Um, Is there anything we as the church can do about it? But the bigger question is, Are we even trying to do anything about it? Are we even trying? Are we actually doing anything? Putting some action to our faith, some effort into following our call, reaching the lost world. 
Or are we just talking about it? Or do we try to ignore it? Huddle up where it's safe. Can we honestly say we're doing all we can to reach a lost, sinful world? I'm not talking about fixing all those big problems like I was talking, gay marriage and, and, and abortion and all those Middle East problems, all, those, all those, those big things, you know. This world is perishing. This world will be destroyed. It was destroyed by water once, and God promises in Revelation that it will be destroyed by fire. Mm-hmm. So it's perishing. We can't, can't fix it. It's not going to be fixed. But are we willing to fulfill our commission, what we're called to do in the midst of it? We can't save this world, but we can be used to save some, can't we? Like it says in Jude, snatch some of them right out of the fire. So are we doing all we can? If not, why aren't we? Are we missing something? Do we? (laughs) Don't look at me, please. (laughs) Do we lack something? God's word says we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. We, we have everything we need to fulfill what he's told us to do. We've been fully equipped. See, it's the spirit moving, confirming what I just said. So. Perhaps we're scared. Maybe that's why we're not doing anything. Or maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're apathetic. We don't hear the cries of the poor and the lost anymore. Or do we see it as just hopeless? This world's just too far gone. The people are just too far gone. Maybe we don't want to burn our hands. Like it says in Jude about reaching into the fire to grab some. Do we behave as though we've been defeated? Like soldiers, like hiding in their foxhole till the war's over? One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 28.1. You don't have to turn there, but... Um, so I'm just going to read it. And it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, <clears throat> but the righteous are bold as lions. And that, that verse always makes me think, you know, am I running? Am I running from the lost, sinful, wicked people of this world like the wicked do when no one's pursuing them? It's like speaking about like just they're paranoid. They're, they're running away, the wicked, when nobody's even chasing after them. For us as believers, you know, Nobody's chasing me away. We don't live in a country right now where you're, you can be ex, uh, murdered or thrown in jail because of your faith, because of sharing your faith. Now, it might not be popular in some places, and you might get you know, told to beat it, but it's, it's, nobody's chasing us out of our neighborhoods. Nobody's chasing us out of this community. Or are we bold like lions? Not in our own righteousness, but Christ's. He is our righteousness. And because of him overcoming the world and imputing his righteousness to us, we are right. And we can be bold. I want to be a lion. I I think most of you here would say that you'd want to be a lion, right? Not a turtle hiding in its shell till till all the danger's gone. Bold like lions in the name and power of our king. Out there on the front line giving my all because he alone is worthy of my all. All right, before we're going to be uh, looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. 
Um, I'm going to pray uh, before we turn there, though. Lord, uh, thank you so much for um, just blessing us with a place to, uh, to hear from you. Thank you for your word and, and um, just the way it speaks to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us, Lord. And I pray that you would um, just bless my efforts, Lord. You know I'm just depending on you up here. I have nothing to offer apart from you. I pray that you would show up and do something. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, um, I'm just going to try to briefly put into context what Paul is uh, writing about here. Um, there's some crazy stuff going on in Corinth. It's just, it's just, just a mess, like our world. Christians suing other Christians in secular courts. I mean, they can't even get along enough to, to, to settle a small dispute. They have to go to the outside world. They have to go to pagans in order to get a ruling on things. That's sad. Um, there's all kinds of arguing and division going on. All kinds of immorality, especially sexual sin going on there. It's just a bad scene, and it's a bad witness to the world. So those are some of the issues Paul's addressing there uh, in Corinth. And he writes in uh, verse 19, he, he asked them a question. And the question is, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? It's such a pointed question, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer, though. The only answer for a believer, for the church in Corinth, for true believers, the only answer to that is, yes, I know that. I know I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. I know that God put him there, and I know that I'm not my own. That's the only answer for a believer. I know I'm not my own. The point of Paul's question is clear. It's to snap them back to reality. To put them back on the right track. It's to wake them up. But just in case they didn't get the point, he clears it up a little further in verse 20 and says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Bought with a price. Therefore, because you were bought with a price, use that body and spirit to glorify God. Not the foolishness they had been using their bodies and spirits for, arguing and disputing and suing each other and just all kinds of immorality. So that's the context of what Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians. So um, I'm, not, I'm going to use a pretty simple three-part format here as we do today's study. It makes it real easy to follow. Or if anyone wants to take notes, I don't know if anything I'm going to say is noteworthy, but... Um, it's pretty simple to take notes that way, so it's, it's pretty easy to follow along. It's just three parts. More importantly, preparing a three-part message makes it is a lot easier for me. So um, three-part three uh, sermon or a three-part format goes like this. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about, then I'm going to talk about it, and then I'm going to tell you what I talked about. It's easy, right? So here are the things, three things that we're going to talk about. First, we are owned. We are not our own. Second, the price paid for us. And third, glorifying God. <clears throat> so the first one is being owned. 
You know, we start off this life in just a bad way. We start off, like, in the red already. We're born owned already. Slaves, born into bondage. There's only two ways out of slavery. That's death or to be bought by someone else who owns us, who owned you then. You're, you're still a slave. I said, you'd still be owned, though, so... <laughs> okay. Um, being owned, who likes the sound of that? Does that sound like something like a, you'd pat yourself on the back, you'd brag about? You know, I'm owned. Somebody owns me. <clears throat> it sounds pretty negative. In fact, in like sporting competitions, you know, when you get smoked, that's what they say, you get owned. You know, when I started doing, I started doing martial arts with my son Alex a few years ago, and uh, when we first started off, we were kind of like maybe evenly matched, at least in my head we were. But like now, I mean, we go out there and it, he owns me. He, he eats my lunch, man. He smokes me. It's not even a contest. It's owned, you know? When somebody says you got owned, it's, it's like you had no chance, you know? You're just outmatched, out of your depth, right? And we are all those things. We are, we are out of our depths. We are outmatched. Hopeless on our own. We have no chance for victory. You know, we can't free ourselves from what we're owned by. From sin. Sin is our master, apart from Jesus Christ. Complete, completely incapable of living the Christian life on our own. That's, that's what we are. <coughs> Willingly, we need to accept his ownership of us, God's ownership of us and give ourselves fully, completely, unabandonedly to him. Or someone else will step right in to do it. Someone in will step right in and own us. You know, we can't be on the fence here. We can't serve two masters. Paul says that we belong to him, the church. We belong to him. Or we belong to someone else. Or something else. If not him, then who? If not him, then sin owns us. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, please. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. <clears throat> Paul puts it like this in Romans. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Who are we presenting ourselves to? That's the question when it comes to who owns us. If sin, we belong to sin. We're owned by sin. Sin is our master. Sin is our owner. If we obey our sinful desires... If we just chase after anything that our sinful desires, our sinful flesh wants to do, then we're slaves to sin. I'm not saying that. Paul is. God's word is saying that. Move down a few verses to Romans 6, verse 22. Paul writes here, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. In, in, the, in the end, everlasting life. As Christians, sin no longer owns us. If we're in Christ, if we're God's, 
It can no longer control us. We have a new master, a new owner. And his ownership of us leads to life. Leads to holiness and eternal life. You know, that's not to say that when we become believers, we don't sin. We don't mess up. We don't fall. But sin no longer has the dominion over us it had. It no longer has the control over us. It's no longer our master. It's no longer our owner when we're his. He bought us from sin. He owns us. Without him stepping in and taking ownership of us, taking control, putting us under new management, sin would still rule in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. How could we glorify God with our old sinful lives if sin still owned us? We couldn't. If sin still ruled in us, we wouldn't be able to uh, glorify God with our lives. Being owned means he possesses us, or we are his possessions. That doesn't sound very attractive either, does it? We're just his possessions, but in Ephesians 2.10 talks about us being his workmanship. The word workmanship there doesn't mean like we're a piece of furniture or a stinking rake out in the shed. You know, we're a piece of art, like a masterpiece, his prized possession. That's what we are as he owns us. If we're not owned by him, we're owned by sin, and sin leads to death. That's what it says in Romans 6. Owned means that we have one master, the one who bought us. Owned means that he rules. He's on the throne. No one else, nothing else. The question is, who are we presenting ourselves to obey? Being owned is surrendering our wants and our will to him. It's not a negative. It's not something bad to be owned. Because the guy, (laughs) the guy, sorry, the God who owns us loves us. He's a loving master. It's surrendering our wills to his. That's, that's what it means, being owned. On to the price. <clears throat> what was the asking price to purchase us? What does it cost to buy a sinner? Back from sin and death. A lot. <laughs> I can only speak for myself here, but I wasn't worth much. My life wasn't worth buying. In fact, most of you guys know, I talk about U-turn all the time. I'm going to speak about it for again for a second. I remember being at U-turn for Christ, and when I really turned a corner, it was when I was convinced that God wanted to buy me. And I said, you think this life's worth buying, then take it. I can't do anything with it. I, I made it a mess. I contributed nothing to society less to the kingdom of God. The only thing I did is brought pain to people. My life wasn't worth buying. But God didn't see me as worthless. Praise God for that. And he doesn't see anyone as worthless. He sent his son to save the whole world. Will all be saved? No. In fact, he looks at us, though. He looks at mankind and moved by his compassion and his mercy and his great love. And he places such a high value on us that he's the only one who can pay it. (laughs) It's an amazing concept. 
The price he set to buy us back from sin and death is the blood of his son. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, please. There, Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No amount of money, no material goods, no traditions or works could buy us back from sin. In fact, Peter calls it aimless, and in some other versions, it's futile, meaning it would be pointless to try and buy ourselves back. Completely pointless. Our riches and our works in regard to buying ourselves out of slavery of sin, slavery to sin, it's a joke. We couldn't do it. Anything we have to offer is corrupted. It's corruptible, it says here. In First Peter, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Our traditions, our religion, our rituals, they're corrupted. Gold, silver, all of those things will fade away, pass away. The only thing that will last is the precious blood of his son. It's eternal. The only thing that can buy us back, the precious blood of Christ, shed, poured out, and offered up on our behalf as payment for us. His blood was beaten out of him from his arrest to his death for us. Turn to Acts 20, verse 28, please. Acts 20, verse 28. says... Therefore, take heed to yourself and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, he purchased us with his own blood. He set the price, he paid the price, and he owns the church. He paid for us. He shed his blood to buy us. He paid top dollar for us, the ultimate price, the blood of the spotless, spotless, unblemished lamb, Jesus, his son. Maybe ask why blood? I know I always wondered that. Why blood? Why is this blood so precious, so valuable? We're going to move again. Leviticus 17. I think this helps kind of answer that question, if you had it. Leviticus 17, verse 11, says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The life is in the blood. His life is in his blood. You know, apart from him, 
spiritually, we are dead in sin and trespass. His blood, blood buys us, and it gives us life. It gives us his life. It's his life in us now, not our own. You don't have to turn there, but Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. For all believers, we all can say that. It's not my life anymore. It's his. He bought it, and it's him living in me. He bore our he bought our lives with the lives of his son. His blood makes atonement for our souls. His blood pays for our souls to be reconciled to God. Made right with God. Romans 6:11 says, "Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ." So, we've gone over being bought and the price that was paid for us. And then the third point was, um, is glorifying God. And before I get into that, because glorifying God is a response to somebody who's been bought. Apart from that, we can't glorify God. So I just want to give an opportunity for anyone here who might not be saved, who isn't bought. You can do it right now. You just ask God to buy you. <laughs> Tell God, I am a sinner, and I need your grace and your mercy. I need to be owned by you. Sin rules in my life, and I understand that that leads me to death. Third point is glorifying God. <clears throat> and again, this is our response to what God has done, to us being bought, and to understanding the price that he paid for us. Glorifying God is the only response to what he has done. Glorifying him with our body and our spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians. Now, some of you guys have older manuscripts or some versions. They leave out the and spirit part. And, but my version says it, so I'm just going to apply it to what we're doing. Glorify him with our body and our spirits, which are his. They're both his. We are bought and paid for. And what he chooses to do with us is entirely up to him. That's one thing about being owned. You give up your will. You surrender to him who owns you. His purpose in buying us, from here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it's to glorify himself. That's our purpose. The Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism, answers the question of what is man's chief end? And the answer to that is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It says here, glorify him with your spirit and your body. Glorify him not with just our body and not with just our spirit. Glorify him with our body is, is back up a second, sorry. Glorifying him not with just our body alone, outwardly, just with behavior, following the rules, coming to church on Sundays, just doing all the right things, but our heart not really being in it. And not just with our spirit, our spirits, inwardly, where we actually do nothing ever to glorify him. We just think about it. It's not the same. Thinking about bringing glory to God and actually doing something to bring glory to God are not the same thing. 
glorifying him with all that we are, not just going through the motions without our hearts being in it, and not just thinking about or talking about it without ever doing anything. Glorifying him is the fruit of the believer's life. It's the evidence that we were bought and paid for. It's also our charge. It's our command. It's our duty. It's our obligation to glorify him. So how do we give glory to someone whose glory already fills the whole world? That's what it says in Isaiah 6.3. Angels, one angel speaking in Isaiah 6.3 and says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How can we add to his glory? What can we add to something that is already full? And, you know, it just makes me think, God doesn't need me to glorify him. He doesn't need any of us to glorify him in order for him to be glorious. He just is. Glory is his and his alone. So how can we give more to him? So I had that question, and I started studying and trying to find out an answer to that, and it led me to 1 Chronicles 16, 28, if you can turn there. I'm going to have to start speeding up here a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and read this. Um, 1 Chronicles 16, verses 28 and 29 say, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Give to him what he alone deserves. How do we glorify someone who is already full of glory? We acknowledge it. We declare it. We declare his glory. We declare his strength. Declare his name to the world, to our neighborhoods, to the people we work with. Also says here to bring him an offering and to worship him. The offering we bring is ourselves. The worship of him is our service to him. We glorify God by declaring his greatness to a lost, sinful, wicked world and present ourselves fully to him to serve. All glory belongs to him, it says in Isaiah 42.8. He says he will not share his glory with another. Give him what only he deserves, what only he is worthy of. Declare it. Remember the price he paid for us. Remember that we're owned. That leads us to glorifying him by offering ourselves fully to him. That's what we bring as an offering, ourselves, in full submission to his rule in our lives. Because actually it's his life living through us anyway, right? Okay, so we talked about being owned, the price that was paid for us, and our response to that is glorifying God. And we talked about how we do that. So here's the application part for today. 
So when I started, I asked some questions in regard to the condition of this world and the condition of our neighborhoods. And I asked, are we doing all we can? Are we doing anything? Our chief end is to glorify God. We do that by serving him, submitting to him, obeying him. Are we declaring his glory? That's how we bring him glory. Are we declaring to this world his greatness, his power, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace? When's the last time we did that? When's the last time you did that to a lost neighbor or a friend or a family member? And I'm asking myself the same question. Are we fully serving him? Fully submitted to his will in us? Are we obeying our call? Each Christian has a call in their life, maybe to music or to teach or to minister to certain groups of people and all those things. And everyone, everyone has that specific call in their lives. But every single believer has the call to share the gospel and make disciples. That's for all of us. Are we doing it? That will bring him glory. Can we change the course of this world? Nope, we can't. God's already said it. It will be destroyed. No one can't. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, no, we can't. But we, the church, glorify God with our bodies and spirits, and he can change a person's course, right? He can use us to reach one person, one soul, and save them. When's the last time we were bold as lions and shared the gospel with someone? A stranger. Somebody at the supermarket. Or invested some time and effort into a fellow believer's life to help them grow. When's the last time we got our hands dirty? This week, I challenge myself and I challenge you guys, be lions. Again, I'm not here pointing my finger at you like, I got this all together. <laughs> this message is just as much for me as anyone here, probably more so. <clears throat> and I'm not dismissing any of the other ways we glorify God, taking care of our spouses or our children, being good employees, serving at our fellowship. <clears throat> We, we definitely can glorify God in all those ways, too. That's, that's serving, okay? Those things all glorify God. But maybe some of us sometimes use all those things as an excuse. I'm too busy with all these other things. I'm too busy with my family, too busy with ministry, too busy with this and that, my job. Those things are just expected <laughs> of us. We shouldn't be using them as an excuse to not do what else we're called to do, and that's share the gospel and glorify God. How long does it really take to share the gospel with someone? Five minutes? No one's that busy. Perhaps we're looking to someone else to do it. Are we waiting for someone else to share the gospel with the lost, sinful world? Are we glorifying him with our body and our spirit? You know, praying about declaring his glory to people, to this world, is not the same as actually doing it. I'm not <coughs> saying prayer is not important. Please don't misunderstand me. 
It is, it is vital to our lives as believers. But sitting around praying about it when we could actually just walk right out there and do it. I mean, it's something to think about. So in closing, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirits, which are God's. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you how it instructs us and corrects us and challenges us. Um, We do just want to be surrendered to you, Lord. Help us to, to know that we are yours, Lord, that you own us, that you did pay a price for us, Lord, and our purpose is to glorify you with these lives, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just remove any obstacles, Lord, whether it's excuses or, or um, just maybe apathy uh, to the, from fulfilling what you've called us to do, Lord. Um, give us hearts for the lost people of this world. Uh, break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. pray that you would use us, Lord, to reach people. Um, that you would uh, use us, Lord, to disciple people, Lord, to help them grow. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.